If uh, by any chance you feel like you're about seven or eight, you can go. <laughs> We're going through the Psalms, and um, I love the Psalms, and they, they have grown on me over the years. My need for the Psalms has increased as I've gotten older. These lessons in prayer and praise have taught me to desire the things that God wants me to have, but these psalms also teach me how to ask God for them. Ben Patterson, a man who was a campus pastor on one of the universities, for many, 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 many years, 30 plus years, he's written several books and he's dealt mainly with college students and university students, and um, in, in his books, you can pick up that flavor because he really wants to help the college student out, and he really wants to spend his life training those who are in universities. So Ben Patterson wrote a, psalm, wrote a book on the Psalms entitled The Power and the Pleasure of Praying the Psalms. And he was one that was very strong in saying we need to learn how to read the psalm and then pray the psalm and, and make it very, very personal for our lives. He says he wants us to do that because the psalms can help us pour out our hearts to God. All the joys, pleasures, hopes, all the fears, all the despair, all the doubts, all the heartaches, all the terror that comes into our lives, all the longings of which we are capable are mirrored and clarified and sanctified and transformed in the psalms as are all the ways we may pray when we go into the presence of the Father. With that in mind, I want to share with you this morning what has been one of the most meaningful psalms for me. <clears throat> one I keep going back to, one I use often as I visit with others, one that has picked up my life over and over and over again when I've needed for God's presence to just overwhelm me. And that psalm is Psalm 31, and I want to begin by reading just the first five verses to get us started and to give you a sense of what this psalm is like. David is, David is in a very tough spot, and he says, O oh Lord, in this spot I am taking refuge in you. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and come quickly to my rescue." Be my rock of refuge. Be a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me now and guide me and free me from the trap that is set before me, for you are my refuge. If um, you've got a bulletin in your hands, you may want to pull out the outline so you can see where I'm going, and we're going to watch David as he goes up and down in his life and his prayer experience. Psalm 31 is probably the most quoted psalm other than Psalm 23, both in the Bible and by people who are not in the Bible. And it's quoted because this is a psalm that people just feel. I was visiting with someone just, just three days ago, and, and I could tell in our conversation that this was a psalm that they needed at that point. And when I got through, there were tears. 
And, and when the tears came, I said, is there any way I can be of help to you? And they said, no, that psalm, where has it been? I have to read that again on my own. I need the help that comes from that psalm. What a great God I have, and I don't realize it. David really shares his soul. He's terribly honest with us in this psalm, and he's on an emotional roller coaster. He's like us. He's sometimes down in the valley. He's sometimes up on the peak. He sometimes is praising God, and life seems to be going just the way he wants it. And the next minute, he's grieving, and he's saying things like he says in verse 22, In my alarm, God, I just feel like I'm cut off from your sight. Now, if you have ever felt like that, then this psalm is for you. Because first of all, as we go through the ups and downs of David, we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 that this is a prayer for help. As David begins this prayer, he's in trouble. No matter which way he looks, there's nothing out there that's positive in his life at this point. And he's really in a struggle time. And he's been on the run, so he's tired. He's down, he's discouraged. But the thing we need to pick up out of the psalm in these first five verses is that even though he's down, he's not down on God. Because he says in verse 2, even now, as I'm in this period of time, I know that God is my refuge. In verse 3, he says, I know God's going to be my fortress. God's going to take care of me. God's going to get me through that. But the tricky thing is, because he's so human and he's so much like us, even though he knows that and he knows where his protection is coming from, because his life is not easy at this point, he's crying out to God for help. And he's asking God to do some things God hasn't done already. He's asking God to move into areas of his life that God hasn't moved into yet. And so he's saying in verse 1, God, I know you're my fortress and I know you're my strength, but I need for you to deliver me. I need for you in verse 2 to come to my rescue. Verse 3 says, I need for you to lead me right now and I need for you to guide me right now and I need for you to give me new insights right now. In verse 4 he says, and I need for you to free this trap that I'm in that is set before me. David is saying something very important about God. For years, David's been on the run. If you know the story, King Saul's been trying to capture him, and King Saul was jealous of his popularity, and and he wanted to capture him, and he knew he was going to eventually be the king, and that bothered him. But he said, as King Saul was, was after me, I found safety over and over again, sometimes behind huge rocks down in the valley. Sometimes I'd go up into the mountains and get into the caves. And now David is understanding something that those outside the faith cannot understand. Just as the high rocks protected him, and sometimes the mountains in the wilderness protected him when he was in trouble, down deep he knows it is God who even now, as he says in these first four verses, is going to be his protection, is going to be his rock, is going to be his refuge, is going to be a fortress as he goes through this very difficult time. This is a logic, not of words but of the heart. This is David not only believing by faith, but David, even in the midst of being down, is enjoying the fact that God is with him. And he's sharing something very important with us. He's saying that God never leaves us. God never forgets us. And he's saying that God is everything that he said he is. 
God is faithful. God is true. Even though I can't seem to put anything together right now, God is still faithful. God is still true. And we know by faith that God is many things. But it's one thing to know about God. It's another to experience. So the question becomes this. If we know those things, do we believe that God is all-powerful? Do we really believe God is all-powerful? If we believe that, and you might say, well, how come you're asking me that? Of course we believe God's all-powerful. Well, then pray that he will prove himself strong in your weakness. Do you believe that God is wise? And that would be, for many of you, a dumb question. You'd say, God is all wisdom. Why would you even think that way? Well, then if he is, ask God to display his wisdom in the ordering of your life. And in the same way, take all those things that God says he is, all those things that the writers of the scriptures say he is, and and ask God to be that to you in certain times, in certain situations. If you need a God who is loving, Cry out to him and say, God, I need to see how much you love me. If you need God who is gracious, cry out and ask him to be the God who is gracious. If you need a merciful God, ask him to be the merciful God that you need. And ask him to be everything else that the Bible says he is. You can also sometimes get help when you turn to a passage like Psalm 31. And you pray, turn your ear to me, O Lord, and come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge and a strong fortress to save me. And then you go back and put it in your own words. And you say, Lord, I need for you to really give me your ear. And I need for you to come to my rescue. Because I need a rock of refuge. I need someone who can be stronger right now than I am. And I need someone who's going to be a strong fortress for me because I can't seem to hide from trouble. I'm just getting into one problem after another, and I need for you to come in and do something that you haven't done up to this point. You can turn to the passage and and begin to ask God to be all the things he's promised to be because God is all that and more. Now, it's more than a prayer for help. Here's an expression of trust. He's after God for help, but David is also trusting God in this whole process in his own way. And he's coming to a fuller expression, and he wants you and me to know about it. That's why he writes it. He says he's cried out to God. God has begun to answer his prayers. He wants to assure us of that. He said God has begun to do some things he hasn't done before. He says, I begin to understand that God knew the anguish of my soul. And when God knew the anguish of my soul, he was beginning to work things in a different direction. He said, I want you to know how the Lord worked in my life. When he, when he knew the anguish of my soul, I began to understand that God took note of my troubles and he was really identifying with me. But he said, he also is, is, is a God who allowed me to see my affliction and that means God merely looked at him and noticed what he was going through, and he saw the affliction of David, and so he began to come to David's rescue. And how do we know that? Because he said, God didn't turn me over to the enemy. He has rescued me again and again and again. He forgot about all that. 
But he begins to look back and he begins to reflect and he says, God was there for me when that happened. God was there for me when that happened. God protected me over and over again and kept me from the destruction that could have been the, and the destruction that the enemy wanted to bring on me. Have you ever realized that God is doing that for you? Over and over again? What is your enemy? What is your problem? When I was 24 years of age, I um, candidated to pastor a church. And um, the church accepted me and wanted me to come and to be their pastor. Just prior to the, stating, the, the starting date, one week before I was to be there, I was playing volleyball and a guy clobbered me over the net, hit me in the nose, I fell to the floor and broke my hip. When I broke the hip and then had to be taken by ambulance to the hospital, when we got there, they took x-rays right away, and it turned out to be a very unique break, and, and there was a cyst on my hip as well, which they were going to have to clean out. And when the surgeon looked at it, he didn't know exactly what he was going to do with this, uh, so he asked for a couple of days, and he took some days to figure it out and work with it and so on. And he, he came in one day and explained the surgery to me. He was going to take part of my pelvic bone out. He was going to cut it up into chips. He was going to reshape the hip, rebuild it, rebuild the ball, fill in, fill in the spot where the cyst was. He said, the only thing I can't tell you is whether you walk when I get done. There's no guarantees. Um, and he said, by the way, you're going to have a body cast. Well, I was in the hospital for five, almost six weeks. They put a cast on about the fourth week, and it was a full cast from here down to the toes. And um, I learned how to put weight on one foot and get around while I was in the hospital. And then they sent me home, and I was to be at home until I was losing weight, so they wanted me to, at three months, make an appointment to come back and have the cast taken off and a new one put on because I was going to need a tighter fit at that point. So that's exactly what happened. And then after the, the new cast got put on, I went home, and I'm laying in bed and laying in bed, not able to do hardly anything. And um, I don't know, you know, when you're 24, you want to do something. So, so I, I called the church, and I told them, I want to come. I said, I'm in a cast. I don't know what I can do, but I want to get started. They didn't, dead silence at the other end of the phone. <laughs> and, and the person that call, I called said, well, we got a prayer meeting tonight. We'll talk about it and pray about it tonight, and we'll let you know. And um, so they called me that night, and they said, we talked about it, and we prayed about it. And, um, yeah, come. We're going to trust God. They were so astonished by the fact that I would do that that they thought, well, God must be in it. Maybe he is somewhere. So, so they, they told me to come, and we got all the arrangements made and so forth. And the interesting thing was this church thought, ah, being 24, he's going to come in and just do everything for us. And we'll be able to relax. Well, I ended up a week and a half later there on my back in the back of a station wagon. I was carried into the house, and um, after I was carried into the house and got the surroundings and got things figured out and so forth, I realized I had a four-drawer file. 
And I could get over to that four-door file, and it worked like a desk, and I began to write out a message. And I thought, I'm going to preach. And everybody else thought I was crazy, but I could preach. Now, a pastor back then had to have a suit, you know? <laughs> you know, and you had to have a white shirt, and you had to have a tie. The interesting thing is I haven't had one of those on for about four months. And I said to my wife, who thought I was nuts, I, I said, you know, I want to try that suit on, because if I'm going to preach, I've got to have a suit. And it fit. It fit over the cast just perfectly. It would never have fit over the first cast, but it fit over this one. And so, so we worked out an arrangement for the board to carry me in, because we had stairs like here, and carry me out. And they'd prop me up front with crutches under. I'd start preaching. And that only lasted two weeks, because they dropped me on the way out. And, and when they dropped me, I said, Born, I want to tell you something. Your work is done. I, I want the youth group. <laughs> and those guys in the youth group never dropped me for the next two months as I was going in and out on Sundays. But it was interesting. My first board meeting, I was on my couch in the living room in my pajamas, lay, laying on my side. And all those board members, you know, these, whew, they came... And uh, we're talking, and we're getting to know each other, and, you know, we don't even know if I'm going to walk. But all this was going on, and it was amazing. And, and there were some very tremendous things going on, but, you know, I was restless inside, and I wondered if God was really working, and I wondered if things were really happening. And I woke up one day like David, and I was weary, and it was, it was a struggle. It was harder than I thought it would be. And as I was going through all that, I thought, oh, is it worth it? And up to that point, I was very, very positive. And I asked God for hope. Joan and I prayed together, and we asked God, give us some hope. But give us some results. Give us something we can see, dear Father. And I began to cry out to him for some things that, that I hadn't asked before. And it was very interesting. We began to see God was doing three things. For one thing, he was building our relationship and making us very strong as a young couple. The second thing he was doing is he was helping people in that congregation grow in faith, and we didn't even realize what was going on. The third thing is people started coming in, and they started accepting Jesus Christ. And by the time I got out of this trap and got out there and was able to get around and so forth, we had 23 people that wanted to be baptized. And God was doing all of that because David says... Call out to your God, and he won't turn you over to the enemy. He'll be there for you. Where do you need his help? We ask God to give us hope. We ask God to give us a great deal of hope. We ask God to come into our lives and move us in very special ways. Where do we need his help? David says, I want you to know, he didn't turn me over to the enemy. He gave me the help I asked for. And he not only that, that but in verse 8, he also says, he set my feet in a spacious place. In other words, God, he was saying God was faithful. He delivered me from the affliction I was in. And he's done that for me in the past, and I begin to see he's doing it again. And David then gets very honest with us. He knows God is working. He knows God is doing something very special. But when you get to verse 9, he's down again. Can you believe it? David, he's down again. He's just like us. 
And he's starting to grieve. And he wakes up one morning and he's, he's just not, he's weary. Everything is on hold and everything is waiting and he can't make anything happen. And so he forgets all that God is doing for a time. And he's on a negative note and he's saying things like this. Verse 9, oh God, you've got to be merciful to me for I'm in distress. My eyes are growing weak with sorrow. My soul and my body are growing with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years are by groaning. My strength is failing me because of this affliction, and it seems as if my bones are even growing weak. For I hear the slander of many out there, and there's terror on every side. They conspire against me, and they're all plotting against my life. Because that was happening almost every day in, in David's life. Not only then, but he was going to become king someday, and it was happening every day when he was a king. Those outside and those inside were trying to do away with him, always. But notice he said, today, God, I need something special. You see, if we cannot change someone else's problem, it's interesting how, how the enemy comes in and how the enemy works. When David was down, God was doing all kinds of things and, and he was trusting him for a while, and then he thought, well, maybe nothing's happening because they didn't happen fast enough. And when they didn't happen fast enough, he, Satan got in there. And then that's where you get your problems. That's where you get your struggles. If we cannot, we have, and we get enemies. We get enemies all around us when times like that happen. It's amazing how that happens. You get a person to walk into your life, and if they've got a problem and you can't help them or change that problem for them, you get an enemy. You get someone who wants, wants a simple solution, and there is no simple solution to their life. And you provide what, what they think, you can't provide what they think they need, and, and you can't help them with their decision-making because they want help financially, and you can't give them the financial help they need. They turn on you, and they reject you. Because that's the way the world is around us. But that's sometimes how we are with God. We, we turn away from him when we don't think things are happening fast enough. But we can be thankful to God that he doesn't walk away from us. He sticks with us even when we're not at our best. Notice how serious this all is. David says in effect... This is so bad, it's affecting me even physically. My strength is failing. My bones seem to be growing weak. His body was filled with grief. He's really down. And his condition describes the weakness and the sorrow and the grief of all of us when we don't trust our Lord. David wakes up. He begins to understand what he's doing. By the time you get to verse 14, he says, But I trust in you, O Lord, it came back. And I say, even now, you are my God. You're faithful. You're true. God, I've been in the pits, and there's still so much I don't understand. I know my ways are not your ways. And he's wrestling with all that. But down deep, he's beginning to understand God knows what is happening and God knows how to turn things around if he'll just wait him out and let him work. So David's going to start up on the other side. Verse 15, he comes back to this point where he says, My times I know, O Lord, 
are in your hands. Take over. What times? Well, I remember when I was a teenager and I was trying to make decisions that were going to affect me the rest of my life and my parents were trying to make decisions for me that were going to affect me the rest of the life. And by the way, some of their decisions didn't work out too good. Um, <laughs> but, but even then, I would talk to God when I went to bed at night and I would begin to explain where I'm at and what was going on and where I needed help and, and how I was going to get to college and all of that kind of stuff. And God was with me, and I could, I could know it because things began to turn around as I gave my problems and issues to him. God's with us when we go through the, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, and it's amazing what he does. We have a lot of successes in that time of life, but we also have some defeats. And, and things don't always go well. Does that mean that God has abandoned us? Not at all. We may think sometimes we're at the end of our rope, but we're not at the end of hope if we really are trusting God. Our perishable bodies are subject to sin and suffering. And as we go through life, sometimes a day at work turns everything around and it's miserable. Sometimes our choices aren't the best choices. Sometimes we take risks when we shouldn't. And those things don't always turn out well. But God never abandons us and say, oh, what a dummy you are. Why did you do that? Contrary to superficial American expectations, God is often doing his best work in us and through us when you and I can't make life work. When all the outward measures spell chaos and disaster, God's doing something very special in our lives, and often he's, he's weaning believers from their destructive dependence upon anything other than the Lord himself. And he's pushing us into a new start. And it's then that we make some of our greatest gains. No time of defeat, as well as no time of victory, are out of God's control. And therefore are good. I'm a senior now. And sometimes I wonder what I can do and what I could be. And I call on God and I ask him to help and Sometimes when we come to potlucks, I don't sit with the seniors because they know everything. I, I, I sit with those of you who are in your 30s and your 40s and you're discovering a lot of life because I, if I can, I want to share with you sometimes a similar experience and give you hope. I want to I make it count for you. I want you to know how great my God is. And I want you to, make, I want you to hear how when, when I was defeated, and I've been defeated, our God came in and intervened. God works with seniors if they'll let him. Note, first of all, I often go through a filter. The filter is, comes from Romans 12, where it says, we pass through the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God for our lives. And then he works. And in all things, God works for good to those who love him. Therefore, with Paul, we can end up saying, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, then David ends up with just praising his God at the end. David has gone through the ups and downs. But notice it's a great experience. He begins with a great need. And he gets the help he needs. He expresses his trust in God. And then he gets focused in a different way, and he changes, and he grieves. 
And then he cries out as if there is no God. And he expresses how he feels openly, and he's very personal. But then he begins to see, no, his only hope is in God. He's up and down like you are up and down as well. And as he gets back climbing up over the hill, he makes some requests of God, and they're requests that only God can handle. And he comes away assured that God has heard him. God has forgiven him. God's forgiven him of his momentary lack of faith. God has been with him all along, and God is going to help him. So he praises God for that because he knows his God is good. His God is faithful. His God is true. So he says it over and over again as he ends this psalm. Verse 19, he says, How great, O God, is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Verse 21, he says, Praise be to the Lord, for he has shown his wonderful love for me. And then David says in verse 23, so I want to give you some advice, he says. Love the Lord, all his saints, for the Lord does preserve his faithful. Be strong and take heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. And the question is for you and me, can we do that? Can you do that? Or maybe the better question is, Will you do that? You can trust him.